Hello, everyone. Today for this real talk, we're going to be talking about something kind of cool, something funny and, and nice and sweet and heartwarming. Um, I just watched a video of a YouTuber I watch, um, and he was covering a guy who has an alligator as an emotional support animal in Florida, of course, naturally. It was really cool. It was nice and heartwarming. The, the you know alligator was crawling around like, ay, ay, ay. and and what what was really interesting to me was um how the alligator seemed to be completely docile, of course, but also that he seemed to display kind of the sort of affection that you might see from something like a dog, like laying on top of the guy and like you know kind of like cuddling up with him, and like it was really cool to see, and it was something that I didn't know could happen. And it got me thinking, I was like, oh, for this topic, for this real talk, I can possibly do uh, a little short episode on animal emotion, emotion animals, how emotion presents itself through animals, basically. And I was looking into it, and I saw that there are a bunch of different approaches to it, how um, you might see, you know, the emotional reactions and kind of all the things that come with that within an animal. and. Um, Basically, they have different ways of going about it. Like, you know, they have like uh, this one called the behaviorist approach. It's basically just kind of looking at, you know, just their tendencies and trying to match them and correlate them with kind of this uh, anthropomorphism. That's um, basically what anthropomorphism is. It's just applying human tendencies and emotions and traits to animals. And, um, you know, you go about that and you try to kind of tribute certain things that they do to yourself. And if you do that, maybe you can find a correlation between how you identify your emotions and how they might identify or you might identify their emotions. And what's interesting is kind of looking at this and understanding the limitation that you have consciously to really identify those emotions and see what, how they might present themselves within the psyche of an animal. Of course, animals can't talk, unfortunately. Imagine, imagine that. Imagine a dog talking. That'd be wild. And um, they can't, though. And so you can only guess at what they really are thinking, what they're saying in their mind, if they're saying anything. You know, you get into the thoughts of like, what exactly could an animal even think if they were to not have language? Might they have an inner monologue? Probably not. If not, then what, what would they do? And I mean, there are people, I think, that don't have inner monologues. I know when I've meditated enough, that kind of goes away for a little bit. It's weird. But regardless... Trying to make this uh, sort of guesswork a possibility for animals is definitely a difficult thing when you're looking at emotion. It's hard to even understand human emotions if they're not able to express them in a way that makes sense. Makes sense, you know? And what happens is you start to kind of match things that you're familiar with with those emotions. And so the, the alligator, like how I said before, with the alligator putting his head on the, the person's body, laying on top of the person, kind of correlated that with a dog. You know, one of those big old things, you know, they eat the bones and they bark at people. But it's not a dog. It's a big old reptilian. You know, one of those big old scaly creatures. And, you know, dogs aren't that. But in that moment, I can only attribute that sort of tendency to the emotions that I might see in a dog. And even then, I don't fully know what that dog's thinking. I don't know what they're feeling. And I don't know how they might react to certain things other than what I see in front of me. And that's kind of like what the anthropomorphism might be. You know, it, it, it's something that kind of allows you to, I guess if you want to say empathize with these animals, but it, it's kind of something that you do to really match yourself with something other than yourself. And you can do that for a multitude of reasons. You know, I was reading into it more and like, um, 
I, I I've heard the word and I just don't think I really ever looked into it. And it's like it's kind of like what you would see from ancient Egyptian mythology, like Sekhmed and um, Sobek. You know, the alligator and the the cat, and it combines them with a human form. And all of a sudden, you get a hybrid, and you attribute those things to certain traits and emotions and whatever you might value or you know be against within humans. You find a way to kind of express emotion through the animal. Now, this is not understanding the emotion of the animal, but it is a way that we interact through emotion with animals. And I think it's it's uh, it's cool, it's cute, it's interesting. But certain things kind of make it easier to tell if a animal can show emotion or not in a way that, or rather, pick up on the emotion if we can do that. And um, I think the easiest one, of course, is when they have facial expressions. Like dogs. Dogs, we can pick up on emotion very easily um, because they're, you know, flobbering around, flobbering and slobbering around, doing a dance, showing their mouth, showing their teeth, doing whatever they might do to show emotion. And like, let's say they're like going around, like they're hopping up and down and they're clearly, they're wagging their tail. They got a big old smile on their face, the grin showing. They got human teeth and then they start going on and on and on. And then all of a sudden you see, oh, this dog is really happy right now. I can see this dog, and he's excited. And But if I go up to, like, a cat, the cat might think differently, or rather seem different in what they're doing, how they feel. They might go and kind of just rub their head up against my leg, or they might kind of just purr or something. You know, we can see their emotions in a way, but what's easy to spot in a dog with the emotions is, you know, all the expressions that they make, of course. You know, with other animals like bears, you can see their emotions pretty well just through their behavior, regardless of their expression. If a bear, you know, fucking roars at you or lunges at something or is overly kind of sporadic, and which is kind of an expression, but you know what I mean, it's more of a body posture movement, you can see kind of, oh, they're aggressive right now. They're in a state of dominance. They're trying to assert something. Now, a dog, they kind of show a wide range of emotions. No, and they do demonstrate different forms of emotion, if not entirely different emotions than us. Like a lot of people, when you see a dog or they see a dog, they'll be like, oh, that dog's angry right now. This dog hates me. And I don't believe that's the case. I believe dogs, they, they get aggressive. That happens. But I don't think anger is exactly what it is. Because I find with anger, as someone who's experienced it a lot in their life, anger tends to be a personal thing. That's based in some sort of emotional buildup towards something or someone. Sometimes it can be impulsive and sometimes it can just be something that's an inconvenience. But dogs tend to kind of, when they are aggressive, tend to react more so out of instinct, of course, than just some buildup based in personal feelings. So when a dog is seemingly not into being around you, there's some sort of thing there that's, I think, instinctual and biological and kind of within their brain chemistry, independent from who you are, independent from your impact on them. Sometimes it can be determined. Of course, a person who had unfortunately abused a dog would be identified by that dog in a negative way, and they could react however they react to them. It's not so black and white as like they either do or don't react to you, but I find with aggression that tends to be something that's a little bit more broad than specific to you. But I could be wrong about that. But What's interesting is trying to attribute something like anger or hatred to a dog that I don't believe. And I think I heard this from Caesar Milan when I was watching his show. I don't think he would agree that dogs hate you or are angry with you necessarily. You know, they get the aggression that might come with it, though.
And so we try to understand not only animals from a perspective of our own, but it kind of gets even more tricky when we start to do it to each other in a way that is based from our perception and perspectives of one another through what we are familiar with, like we do with animals. Except we have the ability to communicate with one another about it. Yet we still seem to have a hard time understanding it. We identify ourselves in a certain way, and when that identification doesn't match and mold with someone else, we might start to think that there's something wrong there, whether it's with ourselves or with them or with the world, whatever it might be. But we ain't dogs, we ain't animals, we ain't nothing like that. But still, we seem to have a lack of understanding for one another. And what I think is interesting is that when it comes to philosophy, like the thing that we kind of determine the whole grand scheme of humanity with, seems that emotions themselves, the diving deep into them, what may cause them within development, within evolution, within all these things, is very much foggy compared to the rest of you know the field. And of course, I've learned in my time with mental health and uh, counseling and all that, that emotions tend to be adaptive in some way. And that's a pretty clear observation. But the adaptive nature that we have tends to be one that can be both positive and negative. But typically, these emotions that we have did serve a purpose that benefited us. So what I've learned in EMDR treatment, uh, trauma therapy, basically, involving other things, is that behaviors and emotions and reactions and all the things that you have serve a purpose in some way. That they were maladaptive, maybe, but they were adaptive in the way that you were using them to improve on something that may have been tough to deal with. To try to use this thing as a means of coping or combating something that's harmful. Maybe you were not experiencing something that fit your needs and you know you had to meet your needs some other way with a maladaptive behavior, but you adapted it based on kind of this need to do something and you fulfilled your needs in some way, possibly. Now with animals, there's a, I don't know what it's called, but there's a a thought process that kind of goes into this. There's a book that was written that I think um, Darwin referenced in his kind of little, I guess you would call analysis on animal emotion. And it involves saying that emotions within animals were passed down in a hereditary way as a means to promote sort of productive use of something. Like, you know, they were used to be productive in a hereditary way, passed down. And what's interesting is how that correlates kind of with humans here. And uh, the big thought process can often be seen as um, emotions within animals and people develop in a way that's similar, evolutionarily. Like, it, it's meant to be something that is similar in how it develops because the natural laws of life and nature and all those things made it to be so. Now, we see that individually with people within one lifespan this adaptive behavior and these adaptive emotions, you know, these things that are meant to kind of protect or combat something that is negative, positive, whatever it might be. And it would make sense that animals would do the same thing and that animals would try to find all these adaptive measures, whether it be through emotions or through something else, that kind of understand and move around their environment in a way that's productive. Now, how do we correlate this to ourselves further? Well, we seem to react to emotions, yet we also seem to use emotions as a way, basically as a reaction to other things. You know, it goes both ways. 
And so we kind of see this within animals and we see things that kind of often make us feel these intense emotions. And so that understanding that we seem to try to project onto animals as for whatever purposes it might be, can be used as a way to understand ourselves. Understanding the core principle of the adaptive brain when it comes to emotions and how these things that we use to adapt, whatever they might be, have caused both positives and negatives and kind of looking at the meat of all of that and understanding ourselves individually through our adaptations that we had. You know, the things that we changed, the things that we chose not to change, and all the things that come with that seem to have an impact on ourselves in a way that is much more than just what we see, what we feel. It's everything. It's kind of this big little worldly impact. And it's not just with us. It's with all things. And so we kind of look to do that same thing with those around us, people, animals. We try to understand them so that we can be productive in our interactions with them and also just out of curiosity. I know, man, curiosity is a fun thing. And we desperately want to understand that which we don't understand. We do that with ourselves, but we also do that with every single thing. It's fun to try to learn. It's fun to try to understand the things that are challenged to understand. The things that pose a problem in that effort because it's gratifying when we find the answer, or at least get one step closer to it, right? Correct. So, hey, it's just something to think about. And that's all for this Real Talk. See ya!